welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast. I'm Andrew Rayburn. Thank you for joining us as we get insights and ideas from coaches working across the game to help you develop into the coach you want to be. In this episode, we speak to Ed Jackson Sankey, who works in the post-16 programme in the community arm of English professional club Reading. Ed started coaching age 12, helping his mother run the after-school team at a local primary school. That was 16 years ago. Now, Ed is in the final stages of completing his UEFA A licence after roles in youth coaching at the likes of Oxford City, Aldershot Town and Portsmouth women interspersed with a stint as a secondary school teacher. Now he bases a lot of his coaching methodologies on the principles he learned as a teacher. Our own Steph Fairbairn caught up with Ed to talk about one principle he's particularly committed to, player-led environments, and how he lets his team take control of pretty much everything. First, though, he tells us about his current role and coaching experience. I currently work for Redden FC Community Trust. I've been coaching for... 16 seasons now I think like any young person who has an interest in football the idea is to go on and be a player but I think I clocked on very very early that was nowhere near good enough um, so the next best thing was coaching and my mum helped out at the, the local primary school running their after school team so I went and got involved with that when I was 12 in year 7 just popping along one night a week going to help it with the match days and from then it sort of snowballed doing football part-time, went to uni, got a degree in football, and a master's in football, uh, performance football coaching specifically. Um, went and worked abroad in South Korea for a little bit as like a, a football specialist at a private school. So helped out with the PE provision and some football CPD for their staff, as well as running the, the elementary and high school teams. Uh, come back in 2014-15 uh, and, and actually went into teaching. So my, my background and a lot of my, my coaching methodologies, if you like, are based on, on the principles that I learned as a secondary school teacher. So I did that for three years. And then once I left, I've been bouncing around clubs. So I was at Portsmouth for a little while, working in the girls' section. I was at Aldershot Town, working with 15s up to 19s. Um, Oxford City with a 23s and first team. Done a little bit of performance analysis as well for Slough Town in the National League South. And like I said, currently at, at Reading. Great, thank you. And I know you're up in Scotland at the minute as well. What are you doing there? Yeah, so the, last week and this week I'm up in Scotland with the Scottish FA, finishing off my, well, Touchwood finishing off my UEFA A licence, my Elite Youth A licence. Nice. Well, be- best of luck with that. I don't think you need to touch wood. I think you got it. Cool. So let's chat a bit about then about you know play player led sessions and and match days and I guess just in general the the phrase player led what does that mean for you? I think it's different depending on the context that you're working in. So I think player led is is like I say is is different depending on the group that you're working with, um, the stage that you are in your coaching career. For me personally, in my current role player-led sessions we're we're very very fortunate that we've been we've been working really really hard on this for the last two years with with the group that I'm working with now um so player-led looks very much like players designing and leading their own sessions um my, my job for match days is is admin and that is it I arrange fixtures and organize the kit for them but match days 
we're in a position now where the squad's been picked. They decide when we arrive who's starting, who the substitutes are, who's going to run the line. Um, they organise and set up the warm-up, lead it themselves. They make substitutions during games. Um, so I'm very fortunate that, that we're in a position with the group now. But player-led might be something as simple as asking questions or setting scenarios in sessions. So that situation that you're in that you've you've just, just described, mm. I guess what led you to want to get to that point of players leading match days? So the idea has been with me for, for quite a while. Um, I can't claim to be this revolutionary genius who's come up with the idea. Um, I, I first heard the term quite a few years ago and there have been loads of examples in modern football. So I first heard uh, the idea of player-led or player-centred environments when, when the FA rolled out their um, the, the England DNA model about 10 years ago. Um, and since then, it's it's always been something that especially with my teaching background, I've tried to tried to incorporate into my sessions. Long ago when I was a teacher, um, we were always told, if you tell me, I'll forget. If you show me, I'll remember. And if you include me, I'll understand when it comes to, to young people and learning. So I've always tried to embed that into my own practices. But then I started to see modern examples of it happening in football. So the first one would have been Mourinho when he was at Porto. He tells a story, I think, one of the other coaching platforms about how a game in the Champions League wasn't going very well. It gets to half time. He's ready to go into the dressing room. But one of his senior players says, no, no, you wait outside. We've got this. We know what you want. And the players managed it. So I've always kept an eye out for it since then. Um, other examples. Ancelotti just recently has been popping up. has gone viral on social media because Champions League semi-final against Man City you don't get much more pressure environments than that. Millions and millions of pounds on the line in prize money. And he's there asking Tony Cruz and Marcelo, who, who do you think I should bring on, lads? You know, and, and Jet, I was on a, the United Soccer Coaches Convention earlier this year. And Jesse Marsh was one of the guest speakers, the, the Leeds manager now. And he said something again that, that stuck with me and that really sort of rings home around this player-led environment. And he said, a coach's job is ultimately, regardless of whether you're pre-academy, grassroots, first-team football, a coach's job is to create an environment where the coach is, is unnecessary. Now, obviously, in practicality, that's, that's not true. There's never going to be a point where a coach isn't needed. But the idea that a coach is developing a group of individuals who can collectively take ownership of game days, sessions, their own development, their own learning, their own processes and outcomes with minimal input or guidance from a coach. I think that's something that's that's really, really cool. I think it's really cool as well. But I, when you were referencing that um, Ancelotti example, I'd, I'd seen a lot of um, feedback on, on Twitter saying, oh, that could never happen in the UK. The culture here, the egos here, <laughs> you know. And, and I was wondering if you actually, how easy has it been for you as a coach to to step back and let that happen and I guess to like you've just said kind of maybe rethink what a coach actually is how easy has that been for you as a coach um early doors it was um, not so easy um I think I think like you said ego ego does play a big part and especially when you're a younger coach or or not necessarily young in terms of age, but young in terms of experience coaching. I think ego can be something that stops you from, from doing it. 
um, either because you're working in a high performance environment and the players, you, you might perceive the players as thinking, oh, well, if, if the coach isn't doing anything or if the coach is perceived to not be doing anything, then, then he's useless. Why is he here? Or likewise, if you're in a grassroots environment and you're giving players ownership over their, their game day experience or whatever, then you might be worried about parents' perceptions. Like, why, why are we paying for this guy or why are we letting this guy run, run the team? And I had experiences like that when I first started trying it, um, because not only is it about removing your ego, but it's about having a process in place that allows you to get to a point where you can have a completely player-led environment or as close to completely led as possible. So you have to scaffold the tasks that you get them to do. Whereas me, I was, again, ego getting in the way. I thought, I'll tell you what, it was off the cuff. I won't do it. I'll stand back. You guys take the team today it was under 18s group um, against good opposition as well I hadn't prepped them for it I hadn't done all the work done any of the work and we got pumped like 9 or 10 and I think that was a big learning curve for well actually you can't go from A to Z you've got to you've got to do it a step at a time and layering activities so using the current group that I'm working with at the minute it's been a lot easier because of those experiences I know I can't let me go get in the way because at the end of the day, it's, it's a little plastic trophy at the end of the season that you're playing for, or it's just three points on a game day. Like, who cares? You know, I'm, I'm not a Premier League manager yet or anything like that. So it's, it's irrelevant. So the ego's moved out of the way. And I know that I've got to do things step by step. So my group currently are a group of, of young people who they want to do well. They're desperate to be successful, but they haven't, for whatever reason, their lives so far have been given the tools and by tools, I mean like the soft skills. They're not, they're not resilient or they weren't resilient enough. Communication was an issue. Um, perception was an issue in their, in their own local environments. So at the very beginning, it was a case of player-led warm-ups. So I led everything for the first few weeks. And the first step was, right, now you guys manage your warm-up under my supervision. So I'm there watching. So I'm scaffolding their learning on the safety net there, ready to catch them. But it's just a simple task. Go and lead a warm-up. You haven't even got to be creative. All you've got to do is copy what I've done for the last few weeks. Go and do that. Manage it yourself. And then after that, it's about, right, can you create your own warm-up? And then starting to be creative and challenging them a little bit more, but again, with you as the safety net. And they've got that reference that they can lean back on that they've, that they've had before until eventually that starts to be incorporated into, into practices. So it might be things like, setting scenarios in your training sessions where we we have a game that we use at the minute where it's like a scenario lucky dip so i come out with an envelope with different scenarios in the envelope and each team gets to pick one so one team might pick out every single dead ball so throw-ins corners goal kicks is theirs so it goes to them and they have to figure out a way to win with that and a strategy to use that to their advantage and then the other team might pick out something like they're only allowed to play a maximum of three passes before they have to score. So both teams are then given ownership and responsibility around how they can come up with strategies to, to use the scenario effectively, whilst also having to figure out what the other team is doing and having a problem solve that way as well. Um, and then that then leads on to, to what we're able to do with the match days and, and them having total ownership of that. And do you see as well, when you're giving um, your players this level of ownership mm. do natural leaders kind of come to the front some people 
step back a bit more and and is the idea I guess to work with each personality or are you trying to get every player to a level of a certain level of ownership I think I think that's a great that's a great question um I think and one of the things that I stress to them is it's really really important that you've got to be authentic you've got to be yourself there's no point trying to pretend to be anything out uh, to be anyone else or anything else you've got to you've got to be self-aware enough to recognise what your own strengths and weaknesses are as a person, as a player, as a character. And you've just got to play to those. So if you're if you're dead quiet, then well, I'm not expecting you to be the one who's rallying the dressing room and getting everybody up for games or or taking the lead in sessions. You know, you might be the one who's organising the equipment if that's a strength of yours. You might be going around and having chats with people individually and working with people that way. So I think it's about it's not necessarily about forcing people into roles or forcing people to try and develop skills that that don't necessarily complement their character. I think it's more about developing a base level of soft skills and then allowing people's individuality to sort of flourish in their own way and them to explore those skills in their own way. So I guess what you're kind of describing is you also as a coach becoming more of a, I was going to say person developer for for lack of a, a better phrase, but helping every individual grow and find the role that's right for them. Um, is that is that how you see it? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I think that's what coaching is generally anyway. I think I think we're delusional if we think that our, our job, our main job or our only job or is, is to develop players. It's not. It's to allow young people to or well, or senior people if we're working with with a, a senior age group or a first team age group. But our job as coaches is to allow people to develop and maximise their potential, regardless of what that is. You know, that the, there's a number that keeps getting banded about and, and Lingard and Rashford whacked it on their Instagram, really, the 0.012. And that's obviously the percentage of, of young people or young boys, that's, that is, who go on and play in the Premier League. So that's one in 10,000. Um you know, and another stat on top of that is only half of those players who go on and play in the Premier League at 18 are still playing at that level at, at 21. So it's one in 20,000 then, you know. So if we're only focusing on trying to develop footballers and trying to develop these guys who are going to go on and play at that sort of level, then what are we doing with all the other ones? Like, what happens to them? If they don't make it, is it so oh, disregarded? Don't worry, I won't put you on my CV. It's all right. You know, it's about trying to allow people to be successful in whatever happens to them. If that's going and playing Premier League, buzzing. If that's not playing Premier League, but playing professional football or semi-professional football, great. If that's coaching, if that's being enough football altogether, but being a great person and going and pursuing something else that they're interested in. I think that's, that's, that's ultimately what our job is and what this player-led environment or player-led methodology aims to, aims to draw out, I guess. And I know you referenced, um, I guess, some of the challenges for you in trying to figure out, you know, how you do it um, and some of the challenges you might face at grassroots with player, mm-hmm. with parents and high level with, with players. But what challenges do you see the players try and navigate on a week to week basis when, when they're in this player led environment? So one of the challenges is, is definitely around the idea that you only know what you know. Um, and what I mean by that is if my, my group, they will openly admit currently we're, we're a community group, we're a, we're a college group who who don't have a very prestigious playing background. 
Um, they'll tell you they're not fan- they're not fantastic players, relatively speaking. One of the challenges that they will have, for example, is I can't turn around to them and be like, "Yeah, lads, match day today or, or training during the week for a match day. I want you to go and put on two sessions to get us to play like Pep Guardiola's Man City, where we're going to invert the fullbacks." We're going to create a line of five on their back four. Um, we're going to find three or four different combinations to break down a low block. They're going to be like, are you joking? You know, so it's one of the challenges is pitching it just right for as a coach for the players to be able to, to be challenged, but still gain success um, with whatever task you're giving them. I think another another challenge for young people or, or or players who have been put into this sort of environment um, would centre around, certainly in the initial stages, role framing or role clarity. So it's it's quite easy when we're in a group to become de-individualised. So rather than my character still shining through when I'm in a group of 10 others, it's quite easy for me to to do a bit of social loafing and be like, oh, I, tell you what, I don't have to work so hard because everyone else will pick up the slack. So it's figuring out ways that that you can still be individual and you can still operate in an environment with other people and still trying to get your your personalities to, to sort of mesh together rather than to clash. And again, I think that comes back to the way you set it and you you frame it as a coach. And I think the challenges have to be able to to complement the group that you're setting them for. And let's talk about some of the positives then. What you know, what great outcomes have you seen come out of this approach? Oh, loads, loads. Um, so with, with this college group in particular that, I'm, that, that we're working with, um, the group of about, two, about 25 who, who train regularly and are involved in this group regularly, um, I think we're up to eight or nine now who've been employed as members of staff, either as part-time, full-time, non-contract, whatever you want, uh, at the football club with another two or three being able to go and get sort of part-time coaching employment elsewhere. And or, or we can't take we can't, can't take sole credit for it because they've ultimately got to go and do the work and develop themselves to be able to do it. But I, th- I think being in that environment has allowed them to develop the social skills as well as the football knowledge to, to go and get roles like that. Um, I've got one lad who struggled with social anxiety and at the start of the year was in a position where they wouldn't even give you eye contact or the conversation would just be one word answers and we'd just be looking at the floor and we're now at a position with them where they're able to hold eye contact and and have conversations all right they're not it's not Shakespeare and it's not long prose eh, or anything like that it's it's one or two sentences at a time but still to be able to go to to that point from from the beginning is fantastic so we've got people in employment we've got people developing social skills in that sense we've got a couple of guys who've been able to go on and 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 handle a a non-league men's playing environment as well so they've been able to go and play semi-professional level football which is fantastic for them it's great for them having not had any like academy experience or anything like that before you know they can go into that environment and, and hold their own technically and tactically but also socially and psychologically being able to deal with the pressures, being able to deal with the different things that they're asked of. So loads and loads of feel-good stories from it. Do you think as well, I mean, you know, do you think 
a win sometimes means more for the players as well when they know they've had even more of a role in that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Last year when we were trying to embed things, we we won the league and it was it was very coach-led. It was very... I've tried to word it probably because it's not me taking credit for it because they're ultimately they're, they're still going out and doing it and they're developing the journey went on last year was really really good but and, and that felt great that we went and won it last year but this year where they've been able to you know, we've laid the foundations last year and they've been able to to take more of a responsibility themselves like they've the majority of them have said this year's been so much better like, and there's now a running joke where we were, we were struggling halfway through the season. We were down towards the bottom of the league. Results hadn't, hadn't gone away in the first half of the season. And it just happened to coincide with us getting to the point as a group now where they were able to lead the entire match day experience. So we're like bottom of the league or second bottom of the league or whatever it was. And then they started taking control of match days. And we went six unbeaten. And they were like, Ed, you're out of the job, lad. We don't need you anymore. And I think, like, even though we've not won the league or not even come close to winning the league, that six-game period where they've been able to go and do that and they know they've done it themselves is so much better than a little plastic trophy or medal or whatever we got last year. That's awesome. I'm glad you're still in the job, though, Ed. Oh, so am I. So am I. <laughs> so if there's coaches listening to this that are maybe thinking about trying to implement this with teams that they work with, I guess... A couple of questions. The first one is, you know, how do you know this might be right? Is there a certain age you would say to maybe start at? Is there a certain setup? Um, yeah, what, what's your take on that? Well, in terms of the age, I think uh, I personally, I don't see any reason why you can't why you can't start incorporating these sorts of activities from the minute players are involved at the football club. Now, like I said way back at the beginning of, the, of, of this interview, it's it's not going to be a case of, right, we've got you as a team now. Now we're jumping straight to your managing match days. It's not, it's not going to be like that. But different ways that you can get the ball rolling or get starting is having them take warm-ups or having them run a small activity like a warm-up or a cool-down or a little possession box if that's something you regularly do at the start of a training session or before a game or whatever. Having them run that something they've done loads of times before, just to start to develop those social skills and those the leadership skills. You'll also quickly identify the ones who are happy to come to the forefront and to get the ball rolling. Because I think, I think that's the big challenge. Once you've got one or two in your group who start to do it and start to showcase that actually, you know what, we're, we're all right doing this, then the rest will follow. So something like that could be a good starting point. Kids, well, I say kids, kids goes all the way up to 19 as far as I'm concerned with this. Kids are geniuses. They're so clever. And they're so, because of because of social media, and social media gets gets a, a fair knock, like I must say, for you know what it's done for, for people needing instant gratification and people going outside less and just playing less. You know, I think it gets criticism for that deservedly. But what social media is great for is that it's made young people so much more creative. They, the ideas they've got based on what they're able to do on Snapchat, on TikTok, on, on Instagram, like it's amazing. And that transcends into football. So if you're stuck for an activity or, you know, 
if you're brave enough to turn up with with only a rough session plan in mind or no session plan at all, I wouldn't recommend that. But if you're brave enough to turn up and give it a go, ask, ask, the, ask the young people, ask the kids, what do you think we could do today? Oh, it might be a case of, oh, let's play headers and volleys or let's play, let's play Wembley. And then it's about you managing that. But they might come up with something like, oh, well, we've, we've been struggling with, with scoring goals recently. So why, why don't we try this game? Or FIFA, FIFA's fantastic. All these kids play these training games on FIFA, training mode or something like that. I'm a bit old for that. But they'll come, oh, we did this drill on FIFA. Like, why don't we set this up and why don't we do this? So you can start to include them in your session planning. Um, something else that you can do, especially with younger players, because the younger ones might not be in a position where they can lead things. What a way that you can make it make them player-led. Oh, who's your favourite player, little Johnny? Who's your favourite player? Oh, my favourite player is Mo Salah. Oh, what's Mo Salah really, really good at? And then they might be able to give you an answer. And then it's about challenging that young person to go and play like that player. So in a game, you might go and position himself on the right right hand side and try and cut in and shoot or dribble past a couple of players by chopping the ball or dropping the shoulder and pushing off inside. And then it's just about, oh, well, do you think you played like Mo Salah today? Yeah, yeah, I did. Well, why do you think so? Oh, I did this, this and this. So implicitly, without you even coaching it necessarily, you've set them a challenge, you've given them ownership to, to do with that challenge what they like, and they've gone and done it. So little things like that could just get the ball rolling. And then it's just about knowing your group from there. That was the voice of Ed Jackson Sankey, a coach at Reading FC's Community Trust. We thank Ed for his time and insight and Steph for the interview. Thanks to you as well for listening. Don't forget, you can get the Soccer Coach Weekly magazine direct to your inbox every Friday. You can subscribe via our website, soccercoachweekly.net, where you can also find practice plans, advice, interviews, and much, much more. I'm Andrew Rayburn. Thanks once more for listening. Join us again soon here on the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast. Soccer Coach Weekly.